Well, good morning, everybody. It's, it's a joy to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a while since uh, we talked about doing this together. And, uh, and man, it's been, it's, I've loved just being here and, and connecting. And of course, I love just really going to appreciate Tim and, and Rusty and, and, and the staff here. And, and just what an amazing place. You know, I get to travel a lot in my role and I get to be in a lot of churches. But what I love about um, coming into some churches like this one here, you know, you just get a sense of love for God, love for each other, desire to be on mission, and you have something very special here, and you should be really grateful for not only godly leaders, but just a heart for Christ and worshiping Him and, and learning about Him and living for Him, and, and it's really a joy. And, you, you know, the Lord has just blessed you richly, and it's great to be here. I, again, apologize. I wish I wasn't uh, whisking off so fast afterwards, but they changed the flight for me, and all of a sudden, um, on their timetable. And so and you know what it's like trying to drive into Atlanta, which is a rough airport. So, But I would ask you to take your Bibles and open them to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at Romans 12 here this morning, and, and, uh, and we're going to be talking about how to and what it means to walk in our gifts the Lord has given us gifts and abilities, and we are going to just really look at this. We're going to look at it from a textual standpoint here in Romans, and then just some practical things that we can talk about. And, and so I would like to read the text. You can just follow along. Romans 12, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8 this morning. Paul says this, For, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. Let's pray here. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for these scriptures. I thank you for blessing us to not only deliver this truth and that your spirit inspired these writers to record your word, but that you've also equipped us with your spirit to open our eyes and to understand these truths. And so, Lord, may your word with your spirit change us today, transform us, cause us to see Christ in His glory, in our place, in His mission. Fill us with love for Christ. Fill us with love for each other this morning that we might walk in a manner worthy and that every moment of our life would be worshiped to You. Thank You, Lord God, for the blessing of doing this together as a family and in communion with one another, being under Your Word for Your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as Tim mentioned, I serve as president of a mission agency to every tribe. And our mission is to 
our ultimate heart is we want to see Christ worshipped among all peoples. We, we, we want to, our ultimate end isn't just to plant churches, but it's to see Christ worshipped. And, and to be part of that work that the Lord's doing where every tribe and nation and tongue will be presented before Him and, and Christ will be glorified. And the kings of the earth, as Revelation says, will come and present their gifts to Him in, in this sense of worship. And, and we want to be part of that work of Christ calling people uh, from every tribe and nation and tongue. And, and the way that we do that, we say our mission statement is that we want to see Christ worshipped by all people by mobilizing the church, training disciple-makers, sending teams to plant churches among the unreached. And in that order of statements, there's some things that are very important to us. First is mobilizing the church. We, we see that the idea is that the church should be reproducing, not the mission agencies, and so we like to come alongside churches and help them carry out their work. But secondly, in our training, though we will say this you know, uh, individually, we'll say, yeah, we, we want to train church planners, but ultimately what we're trying to do is train disciple-makers. We want to train people to be a disciple and to make disciples. We want to train people and help people and equip people to follow Jesus and to come alongside other people to follow Jesus because the mission is to go to the nations and make disciples. When you make disciples, then the idea is that they would then form into local churches raised up from the people within there. So the big question always is then, what does it mean to make a disciple? How do you make a disciple? What's the heart of discipleship? Yesterday in our, in our uh, time together, we discussed the fact that, that making that sometimes trying to discern what it means to be a disciple can be confusing. If I were to say, hey, go disciple someone, you might say, what do you mean by that? What does it actually mean to make a disciple? What does it mean, you know, how do you define that? Is that a class? Is that a meeting? Is that just, is it therapy? Is it coming and just presenting all your problems and having somebody help work them out? Is it, is it just a doctrine study? You got to believe these certain 37 truths and, and now what does it ultimately mean? And so what we want to do for everybody that we're in contact with is to try to introduce the simple notion of what does it mean to be a disciple? And the simple definition of being a disciple is this, that we have been called to be in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we have been called to be in a relationship with each other through Jesus Christ. Right? We've been called to be in a relationship with God through what Christ has done for us and in a relationship with each other through Jesus Christ. Now, to do that, we have to walk in the Spirit and we have to use our gifts. And so part of discipleship is learning that. And so we've got, I got a little picture up here that we can pop that up that explains this. That being a disciple begins first by saying, man, I want to love God. This is what this is about. I want to love God. That, 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 that it begins with, I'm invited in that, that not only does Jesus save me, but it's more than God just changing my address from P.O. Box Hell to P.O. Box Heaven. He's inviting me into His family. He's giving me a seat at the table. He's actually calling me His bride. And as He is cleansing me on this earth right now, He's preparing my wedding dress for the day of the wedding so that it would be white and glorious and we would have a wedding supper and spend all eternity together in this family, right? And so part of this is that it isn't just that that you're now a Christian and you have to now follow a certain set of rules. And so you've been brought into a relationship. And what we want to teach you to do is you love God. But not only that, 
The bride of Christ is us cumulatively. Everybody who's been brought into the kingdom. That it's us individually, but it's also us corporately. And therefore, I not only love God, I love others. I've been brought into a relationship of loving others. And Jesus said, before he went up to heaven, he said, guys, by your love for each other, everyone is going to know that you belong to me. Because there's going to be a union among you that's going to reflect the union that the Father and I have. And so we've been brought into a relationship where we love Jesus. Now, then what does that mean for our life on earth? We've got these two big, great relationships we have. Well, well, then our life on earth is this. First, it's walking in the Spirit. Yesterday, we had a chance to discuss that. And so you can ask those who were there what that means, but I'll give you the simple summary. Walking in the Spirit means that I'm aligning myself with the Spirit of God because when I walk in the Spirit, I don't carry out the desires of the flesh. And it's the desires of the flesh that keep me from loving you. The reason why I don't love you is because I will be selfish, right? The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. And the desires of the flesh are selfish. They put you at the center. And so what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm submitting myself to the Spirit of God, to His Word that He recorded, to the Spirit that's within me that allows me to understand His Word, and to His conviction of my sin that comes and says, hey, Steve, remember, you're a child of God now. And then I confess that sin that he brings to me. And I take comfort in the gospel of the forgiveness of the cross. And I, and I walk this way to walk in the spirit so that my flesh is being dealt with so that I can love you. Which then leads me to what we're going to talk about this morning. Which is walking in your gifts. The Lord has given you gifts. He's given you abilities. And he gives you those abilities so that you can bless others and worship him. All of our gifts, everything that we do is to bless others. Skills and abilities. Like, like I am grateful that the Lord has given people the gifts to, in, to create Advil. I travel a lot. I get a lot of backaches sometimes. And sometimes a couple of Advil make my back feel a little bit better. And every time I take the Advil, this is no joke, I say, Lord, thank you for the skills and the gifts and the abilities of those people who invented this pill that allows my back to feel better and makes my life better and allows me to keep going on mission. Because you see, gifts are meant to bless. Skills are meant to bless. Not just the gifts we use here, but every gift and skill you have. And we're going to talk about that today. And when we use those gifts, we get to bless others and worship God. Now, one thing I want to point out on this picture here is I want you to see these relationships Man, when we're, we, we understand what it is to love God and we're growing in that and we're growing in our gifts, we see Romans 12, 1 and 2, that every area of our life starts becoming worship because our gifts are being used to love God and that makes us a worshiper. And when our gifts are being used to love others, we're on mission. Now we're on mission. Now we're engaging people with our gifts and the love of God. And when our love for others and, our, and our, is connected to the walk, our walking in the Spirit, all of a sudden, we, instead of producing the deeds of the flesh, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. The deeds of righteousness start to show forth. And when walking in the Spirit and the love of God are mixed, 
we get what Paul says in Philippians 1. We start living a life worthy of the gospel. So this is discipleship. All of those boxes are all the different things we talk about, but what we don't want to do is we don't want to take them out of isolation of the four great realities. That we love God, we love each other, we walk in the Spirit, and we walk in our gifts. And that allows us to be worshipers of God. So what we're going to do now is turn our attention to Romans 12. We're going to talk about walking in our gifts. That the Lord has given us gifts, abilities, talents. And we're to use those in service to God and in service to others. Now, in order to really kind of address this text fully, I would like to just set it in its context a little bit because we are just starting right there at the uh, beginning here. We're, I mean, we're starting in the middle of a thought. And we want to make sure that we understand this thought because if you notice in verse 3, it begins with the word for, which means he's connecting something. He's explaining something, so we need to know what he's explaining. So let me kind of just set this context of Romans 12 for just a brief second, and then we'll dive into the text here. But here's, here's the context. We know in these first 11 chapters, Paul has just laid out the glorious gospel, how awesome it is. And he has kind of walked through and solved a lot of gospel problems and issues and explaining Israel and explaining all these different things. And, and he gets really to the end of this in, in Romans 11, verse 36, and he says this kind of great big statement of worship as he completes this, this treatise. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And that would be a good spot to stop that. If you wanted to stop right there, that would have been a good spot. We all would have said, amen. Thank you. You, you have unpacked the fullness of Christ. But then he gets into verse 12, and he begins to start saying, now let me tell you what impact this should mean in your life. And in fact, if you notice in verse 12, or I'm no, sorry, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now I know you've probably heard the old maxim, you know, when you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it? Therefore, right? Does that make sense? I don't think that makes sense to me. Like if you know nothing about the Bible and somebody said, hey, when you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. Okay, what is it there for? That still doesn't help me. So let me kind of throw that maxim out for a moment for you. And let me just tell you what a therefore is there for. A therefore is to give you the application. When you see a therefore, he is telling you what he wants you to get from what he just said. So if you're trying to figure out how to apply the Bible, look at all the therefores. That's the application. So he just laid out the gospel and says, Everything is in and through and from Jesus. Now, what does that mean for your life? Let me tell you what it means for your life. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your whole life to him as worship. Everything. Give it to him because from him and through him and to him, everything belongs to him. Present it all to him, he says. And you say, well, how do you do that? And he says, well, going to go on. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So you're either being conformed or transformed. You're living in one of two states. You're either adapting and becoming like the world, 
or something's happening and you're going through a massive change. And that transformation comes by your mind, actually. That you would understand Romans 1 through 11. You would understand the greatness of Jesus Christ. That that would transform the way you think and that God's Word would shape your understanding of reality. You would buy into God's definition of God, man, life, marriage, everything. It would transform your life. Why? What's the fruit of that? That by testing you may discern what the will of God is. That suddenly you would now know God's will, and through God you would be able to discern what is good and evil. Instead of you trying to figure out what's good and evil, God will do it. He will tell you what is right and wrong. Because you're being transformed. You're thinking like Him now. Okay. Now, you can kind of stop there and go, okay, now we get to verse 3. Now, verse 3 then brings us into relationships. Because we're not only called to be in a relationship with God, we're called to be in a relationship with others. And Paul will always do this. He shifts from your relationship with God to relationships with others. Relationship with God, love God, love others. Love God, love others. Jesus said if you do both of those things, you fulfill the whole law. You live in obedience to everything God commanded. So Paul now is going to say, I'm going to explain something to you. Because you have to have a renewed mind. right? We want our mind transformed. We want it renewed. And so here's what he does in 3 through 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. He gives us a renewed view of ourselves, a renewed view of others, and a renewed view of our gifts, talents, our skills, our abilities. So he says, I'm going to renew your understanding of yourself, right? The transformed mind, this is how the transformed mind would think of myself. This is how the transformed mind causes me to think about you. And this is how the transformed mind causes me to think about my abilities, gifts, and skills. So he's laying all of that out. So we're going to look at that here. Then in the end, we'll try to come with some help to kind of package this together here. So let's begin. We're going to look at the renewed view of self. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now here's your Bible study tip. We define the word therefore. We're going to define the word for. Anytime you see the word for, especially in Paul's writing, it means I'm giving you a rationale. I'm going to explain to you something. This is something you need to know in light of what I just said. So I just told you you should be transformed so that you would know the will of God. You would be able to have God's definition of what is good and what is evil. Now, what you need to do at this point is you need to understand something. And so verse 3 is saying, so this is, I'm about ready to tell you something. If you're going to be transformed, it means that you've got to now look at yourself for a moment. Because in order to be transformed, you have to have a right view of yourself. And so he says, for by the grace given to me, <clears throat> I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So notice that Paul begins just by referencing his own, the grace given to him. Now, this is an important way to begin, because if you think about it, think about Paul. He's an apostle. 
Paul gets to write the Bible. Paul gets to lead the mission to the Gentile. He gets to speak to kings and rulers and authorities. He's a brilliant theologian, a brilliant philosopher. He has cultural understanding of Greek philosophy and all kinds of things. He can he has traveled the world, or at least the world in, in, in their range. But all of this, he says, the grace was, this was all because of God's grace. It's not about me. I'm not a super apostle. I'm not some guy that's better than you. This is just grace. Now, I want to illustrate this point by sharing some, to help you see something here. In Matthew 25, there's this parable. And you could, if you look it up in Matthew 25, it's called the parable of the talents. You've heard this parable, parable of the talents. And the master goes away and he gives 10 talents to one guy, five talents to the other guy, one talent to the third guy. Now, you ask yourself, what is a talent? Why the word talent? Now, when we use the word talent today, we might say, oh, I have a talent to play the piano. Or I have a talent to play guitar. Or I have a talent to do woodworking. Right? That's my talent. You say, okay, so now, but this seems to be money or something being given to these people. But I want to explain to you something. The word talent, in, in, especially during the first century, the word talent meant a gift given to you by someone else. It could be money, or it could be a, a house. It could be a a cow, whatever it is. But it's something given to you by someone else because they have decided this is what I'm going to entrust to you. And that's actually what the word talent means. Something that has been entrusted to you by someone else. It doesn't just refer to the fact that someone can play the piano. It refers to the fact that they've been given the ability to play the piano by someone else. Now, we would know who that is. It's God. That's what the word talent actually means. What Paul is saying is, by the grace given to me, this is a talent. My apostleship, the role that I play in the church has been entrusted to me by God. Now, if we thought of our talents that way, could you imagine if every single musician in the world thought of their talent as that? This has been entrusted to me by God as opposed to, I'm really good. I'm awesome. I'm better than you. This is why I need an entourage. This is why I need somebody to get my water and my tea for me. This is why I need somebody to open doors for me. I am so talented. If I ever hurt my voice, the world would be, you know, fall apart. I need people because I'm good. But that actually what, what talent means. Talent is I've been entrusted by God with this. And every skill you have, you've been entrusted with. And this is how he's trying to begin the letter. What I have has been given to me by God. So he says, I urge you then. Notice this. He says, given to me, right? So he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to. They said, what does that mean? Well, you might think, I don't think of myself more highly than I ought to. You might think that. You might think, no, in fact, I have like super low self-esteem. But I want you to realize something. 
Thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to can be seen as either pride or self-condemnation. Either way, you're fixating on yourself. I should be better because I know better. And so I know that I can define myself as a loser. Sometimes it can be false humility. Who knows? But you see, we don't want to sit here and say, I am worthy. Paul is saying, don't think that you're worthy. And Paul's also saying, don't think that you're worthless. Instead, think of your body as worship. Think of your skills as worship. It's not my skills make me worthy. The lack of my skills make me worthless. It's that I've been given something by God, and it's to be given as worship. This is who I am. I'm a worshiper of God. Now, you might think, well, I don't really, you know, I, I, I really don't have these issues of like pride or, or whatever. But I will tell you this. I think we all do. I think we all know that we do. And I think one of the ways that you can find out that you have maybe think of yourself more highly than you ought to is, uh, have you ever like been in a sermon or maybe you're listening to something, you know, like a podcast or something. And as you're listening to it, this thought crosses your mind. Man, I wish Tom heard this. I wish he was in church today. He could have used that message. That little thought there is that little highly, you know, like Tom really needed that, you know. Or another way that you show that you're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to, here's the way, here's the definer for all humanity. This is the great leveler, gossip. Gossip is the sign can you believe they let their kids do that? Right? Whatever it is, whatever goes on there, you come back from a missional community and I can't believe they let their kids do that. I would not have let my kids do that. And that becomes that moment where you start realizing, I would not have done that. And I'm thinking of myself more highly than I ought to. This is where it comes from. It's that judgmental attitude. And Paul's saying, don't do that. <clears throat> if you're going to offer your life as worship, you have to have a right view of yourself. So, he's, so what is that right view? He says it. You can see it in the text. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Now, we're going to stop there. Just that moment, that sober judgment. You, when you hear the word sober, you might think of like somebody who's drunk or high, or something like that. And that's true. <clears throat> Sobriety. But here's what it actually means. Here's what the word sober means. Ready? Sane. When you are drunk, or high, or not sober, you are insane. Meaning your brain is not working right. Now he's saying this. When you do this, and you think of yourself more highly, you're actually insane at that moment. You're actually insane because you think you know everything there is to know. I one time had the privilege of living next door to a college football coach. He was the offensive coordinator of a Division I football team. And he was attending the church that I was pastoring. And, uh, and we had this uh, agreement between us. The agreement was this. 
I would not criticize his play call on Saturdays if he wouldn't criticize my sermon on Sundays. Okay? So when I'm watching the game, and if I think, oh, why are you running it up the middle? You know, that I won't come to him on Saturday night and go, why did you run it up the middle? And he won't on Sunday go, you missed the point of the text. And so we had this agreement. Now, they were playing a really big game. They were playing a big team. They were slotted to lose this game. But, man, they were down by seven points. There was less than a minute left. They were on their one-yard line. And in less than a minute, they marched down the field and scored a touchdown. All they got to do is kick the extra point. And they tie it up. And in college football, I've, it's anyone's game after that, college football, right? And overtime, I like, that. I like college football overtime. It's, it's a whole new game. So I'm thinking, kick the extra point. We could win and beat this very big top 10 team. Right, ranked in the top 10. They're going after the big dog. They're going to take him down. They're slaying the giant. I'm excited. I'm seeing these great offensive plays. So after they score the touchdown, they line up. Sorry, if you don't know football, just, I don't know, surf the internet for a minute. But um, they line up for two points. And I am yelling at the TV, no, no, don't line up for two. Like, kick it, kick it. Should I, should I text him? Kick it. You know, don't, 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 don't. They go for two. They miss it. They lost the game. Okay. Now, the neighbors are getting pitchforks ready, okay, because he's, they know he's going to come home late that night, and they're, 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 like, walking around the streets in our neighborhood, like, can you believe he went for two? Can you believe? You know, and I'm like, I'm not going to say anything, man. We have this agreement. We have this agreement. We are not. Good, I'm not going to criticize his play call. He's not going to criticize my sermon. So people are talking to him, whatever. He's on the radio. He's falling on a sword, you know, during the post-game interview. Hey, it's a bad play call. It's not the coach's fault. It's my fault, blah, 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 blah. I called it. I'm calling the offense. That's what I did. And, of course, everybody's mad. That Monday morning, as a pastor, I'm taking Mondays off. I'm mowing my lawn. And uh, he comes up and he says, hey, how you doing? I said, all right. I'm like, how you doing? You know? I said, ah, it's a rough, rough one. He goes, do you want to know why I went for two? And I'm like, nope. I did. So I lied. But uh, nope, no, we have this agreement. I'm not going to criticize your play call. Yeah, but you want to know why I went for two, don't you? Like, nope. I'm fine with our agreement. And I'm like, Please tell me why you went for two. So he goes, I'm going to tell you why I went for two. We, halfway through the game, half the team came down with the stomach flu. And our kicker was in the locker room just puking his brains out. And our backup kicker, puking his brains out. Half the team is gone. Our defensive line is throwing up. Everybody's in bad shape. I figured there's no way we're going to make a kick. We just moved 99 yards, our greatest chance is to keep that momentum and possibly get to and win. But other than that, we couldn't have kicked it. We could not have kicked it. We had no one to kick the ball. Now, at that moment, he can't go on the radio and say that, right? Now, why am I telling you the story? Um, telling you the story because you could sit back and scream at the television, why did they do this? And that's thinking more highly of yourself. Because I assume that what I see is all there is to know about that situation. 
But there's more to know. And this is why God calls it insanity. That you think that you could see something and then think that you can judge it. When you hear the whole story, you say, good move going for two. That was a good move. He made the right choice once you know everything. And this is why he says, think soberly about yourself. Everything you see is not all there is to know. So don't go around thinking you are the expert on everything. Just because you read 12 articles on the internet and watched 16 YouTube videos. Right? He's, don't do that. That's insanity. Instead, here is what he says. And this is a little bit... By the way, we're spending most of our time in verse 3. The other two, we're going to zoom on past. So don't think, oh my word, this guy's been on this point forever. Okay, it's, it's going to speed up here in a minute. But here's what he says. And this is the key to this whole thing right here. You ready? Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now you probably go, what does that mean? Let me explain it to you. Because you've got to think, each to the measure of the faith. So let's deal. What's he talking about faith? Before we talk about the measure of faith, what's he talking about faith? I mean, when we hear the word faith, we think salvation. I place my faith in God. I'm in the work of cross. I'm saved. But faith is used in two different ways. Faith is used in salvation and in service. I don't know if you recognize this, but it's used in service. That we have to trust God as we carry out the mission. How many times did Jesus say to the disciples when something's happening and it looks like all the wheels are coming off the bus and He says, Oh ye of little faith. They're in the boat. They think the boat's going to sink. They're on the boat with God. You think the boat is going to sink? No, the boat's going to sink. He's like, no, it's not. Trust me. right? So you need faith to execute your, 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 your talents and your gifts. Now, some people, man, they have such a capacity... To, they've got a measure of faith which allows them to do things that you might look at and say, I don't know if I could do that. For example, there's some people that might say, man, I am going to go march into that jungle and I'm going to bring Jesus to those headhunters and man, I, I, just, I just believe that that's where God wants me. And then go into that place and some of you might say, I, man, I don't know about that. And Paul would say, it's okay if you don't know about that. When he handed out the talents and the parable of the talents, some got 10, some got 5, some got one. It didn't matter. Now, I say some of you are like brave enough to go march into the nursery. I don't have that kind of faith. Okay, like that, that's a huge amount of faith. To be around those crying babies, that's, that's faith to me. But you see, the idea is he's saying, don't look at people because their capacities to serve God are different. If God's given me a capacity to do something, don't say, wow, Steve has this capacity to do something. Man, I need to be like him. I need to adapt who I am to be like him. You don't do that. He's saying, think soberly about yourself and recognize everybody's in a different place. Everybody has a different capacity. Some have 10, some have 5, some have 1. God is going to give you the abilities, the, the, the skills, the talents based upon the person he made you. 
And therefore, you don't have to try to become like some rock star pastor. I remember going to a marriage conference one time. I did the marriage conference. The, my wife and I were there. We're like, oh, this will be fun. Do this as a couple. We're going to learn. We're going to grow in our marriage. And I was finding myself getting a little annoyed because every time a question would come from the audience, the, uh, the guy was the hero of every story. So somebody would say, hey, how do I show love to my wife? Here's, well, here's what I do. Every morning I write my wife a poem. And every guy in the room is going, what? <laughs> write my wife a poem every morning? You know, it's like, and then I hide it in, in, in the eggs because she has eggs every morning. So then when she gets, literally, this is what he said, and when she gets up and she opens the egg, there's the poem. Okay, hold on a minute. You get paid to love your wife every day, right? Like you have no other job. So yes, you have the time to get up and write your wife a poem. Okay, I get that. Second, I don't know how many guys are poets. You know, I'm sure there are poets in this room. Any guys that are poets in this room? I'm sure there are. Maybe just one or two. But you don't want to just sit there and like, so what does he do? He takes his measure of talent and he makes that the standard upon which every guy in the room needs to measure up to. So he got it backwards. The answer should have been, you know what, I've got certain skills and abilities and I try to use those skills and abilities to serve and show love to my wife. One of the things I like to do is I like to write, write poetry, so I write her a poem. But some of you might have skills and abilities where you can make something. Some of you might have skills and abilities where you can just serve your hard workers. Some of you have skills and abilities to do, right? He should have just said, each one of you has a different measure. But instead, he made himself the standard and now he's creating, calling everybody in that room to become insane. Because they have to now measure up to some standard. Right? And he's saying, don't do that. Each to the measure of faith. So recognize you are who God made you. Worship in that. If you're going to present your bodies to Christ, you have to have a right and renewed view of yourself. So you don't want to view more highly of yourself, but just view yourself. This is who God made me. These are the skills and abilities I have. They might not be like Tim's or Rusty's, but they're yours. Present them to the Lord. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. Now, let's shift. Let's keep going to a renewed view of others. Now, this then starts to make sense. We have another four. He's going to try to explain this further. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 4 makes sense once you understand verse 3, doesn't it? Verse 3 says, don't be insane. Don't think more highly of yourself. Recognize you have whatever gifts you have. You present those to the Lord. Other people have their gifts. Don't judge them. Don't be intimidated by it and say, I'm worthless, or man, they do a bad job, I'm worthy. Man, all of us, he's saying, here's what it is. We are one body, and we have people with all different skills. Some of you have the capacity to come and do little compared to other people. Other people have the capacity to do a lot. It doesn't matter because we're one body. 
and we need everyone, he's saying. And we all do not have the same function. The goal in life is not to possess every single spiritual gift. The goal in life is to just use what God gave you as worship to Him and love for others. And if it to you is perceived as a little, well, it doesn't matter to God. God dispensed ten talents, five talents, one talent. He dispenses based on the person He made you. And we need all of them. You've heard this illustration before, and it's true. I broke my pinky toe, that little toe on the end there, which to me is like a relatively useless appendage until you break it. And then you realize, wow, I don't know what you do, but you're suddenly important in my life. And I want no one to touch it until it heals. But in the grand scheme of things, I would rather lose my pinky toe than my eyesight because the eyesight has a greater capacity and greater need for me. But I value them all because we need them all. And this is what he's saying. Just as the body has all these different parts to it, this is what the body of Christ is. So what I want to do is I don't want to judge myself and think of this like a corporation and we're all trying to get to be the president at the top of the pyramid. We think of ourselves as a body. And, and man, and if you're the pinky toe in the body of Christ, praise the Lord, you are the pinky toe. And we need you because God made it. And if you're the mouthpiece, the one that's going to stand up in front and do all the talking, praise the Lord, you're the mouthpiece. But if you're the mouthpiece, you're not better than the pinky toe. That's the point. So we have to have a renewed view of others. So what we don't want to do is say, I wish these people would do more. I wish this would happen. I wish that would happen. The prayer needs to be, man, whatever gifts they've given, I just pray that they offer it to the Lord as worship to Him and service to others. If it's little or lot, give it. It's worship and service. Love God, love others. Be free, because we are all individually members of one another. Now that little line there, and this, this is the line I want to key in on for just a couple of seconds. We are all individually members of one another. Meaning there's a distinction, but we belong to each other. I belong to you, you belong to me. So I have to recognize that. Church is not a place you choose to go to on a Sunday. It's a relationship you've been invited into for all eternity. It's not a place you choose to go to on a Sunday. It's a relationship you've been brought into for all eternity. You will not escape me in heaven and I will not escape you in heaven. We will be there together, serving Christ and loving each other perfectly in heaven. And so let's serve Christ and love each other now on earth, imperfectly because we're part of each other. We're in a relationship. So, what does that mean then? Leads us to the third renewal, right? Then we have to have a renewed view of our gifts. Now, I want to illustrate this 6, 7, and 8 here really quickly, and then when I read it, it'll make sense to you. <clears throat> Here's the illustration. This might seem like I'm not illustrating it, but follow along. There is a rabbit at the end of this trail. When I was a kid, I used to get an Easter basket. In that Easter basket was a pile of jelly beans, unwrapped, 
My mom would just pour a bag of jelly beans in there and then all the other candies. Now, I love jelly beans. I love them so much that I'm the youngest of five. So always just picture when you are the youngest of five, you have to protect what you have because it is Lord of the Flies in that kind of house. Okay, and so my brothers and sisters would rather eat my candy before they eat theirs. So I have to protect it. Now, I love the jelly beans so much that I would hide the basket. Now, here's the reality. I never ate them because I was like protecting them. And this would happen year after year. I would hide them in the corner of my closet and I would put stuff over them. Now, we lived in an older home. So picture, I don't know if you can picture where this is headed, pile of jelly beans on the floor in a closet. All of a sudden, you just see in the house like this trail of ants, you know, just walking into my bedroom. And then my mom would be like, what is going on? And she'd follow the evidence, right? Right to the closet. She'd open it up and boom, there'd be all these ants all over the jelly beans. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm saving my jelly beans. I'm protecting my jelly beans. I don't want people to eat them. She's like, no, no. The best way to protect your jelly beans is to eat them. Okay? Eat the jelly beans. You say, okay, what does that have to do with this passage? Six, seven, and eight, Paul makes one point. Whatever you've been given, use it. Use it. Eat the jelly beans. That's what it's there for. This is not super profound. Look at having gifts that differ. Okay, so we're going to all have different gifts. That's the point he's making. We're all different. We've got different places. Some are more dramatic. Some are more up front. Some are more behind the scenes. Some can only do a little bit. Some can go trace to the nations and do all kinds of crazy things. We're all in different places. But we're all one. Because God, by His grace, has given it to us. He's given you not only your gift, He's given you your capacity. And that capacity, don't judge yourself for it. Embrace it. That is God's capacity. Worship Him for that. He's given you your gifts. He's given you your capacity. So use it. It's, notice verse 6. Let us use them. Now, he goes through and he just kind of throws out some gifts. He's not giving every single gift that can out there. He's just making a point. And most of them are pretty pro, not profound points, right? Look at verse 7. If service, in serving. If you have the gift of service, serve. There's only a couple of them that he adds qualifiers, right? If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Basically saying some of you will have this skill and this gift and you're going to use it some levels on a greater level, some on a lesser level. That's okay. Use it whatever level the Lord's given to you. If you can serve, serve. If you teach, teach. If you exhort, exhort. If you contribute, be super generous. If you lead, do it with zeal. And if you're merciful, be happy when you give mercy. Don't be one of those angry mercy people. I'm giving you mercy right now. What I could give you, you're, you're lucky. How I should be treating you is this, right? Not, don't be that guy. He's saying, be merciful with cheerfulness. Man, praise the Lord. I, God is gracious, I'll be gracious to you. The point isn't the list of the gifts there. The point is verse 6. Use your gifts. Now, why would he say this? Because when we are insane and we're viewing ourselves wrong, or wrongly, I don't know which one it is. I'll put them both out there so I'm right either way. Wrong or wrongly. When we're doing it that way, um, 
what happens is we end up not using our gifts. Think about somebody who overestimates their gifts. When, when I was pastoring churches, I cannot tell you how many times this happened. Somebody would come on their first Sunday. They'd walk in. They'd say, I just want to let you know that God has called me to preach in this church, and he's told me that I should preach next Sunday. This happens to me. Maybe once or twice a year. And you stop and you go, well, he hasn't told me that yet. And when he does, give me your number. I will call you. But in the meantime, usually by the end of the service, the toilets and the bathrooms are pretty rough. Would you mind just cleaning them up for us? Because we could use somebody to keep the toilets, the bathrooms clean. Because we have people running through here. And then when the Lord tells me you to preach, man, you get in the pulpit. No, I'm, no, I'm called to preach or I'm leaving. So whether this person is a preacher or not, they're overestimating themselves and they're not serving the body of Christ. You underestimate yourself. I could never do anything. I'm so bad. I'm so poor. So I'm not going to do anything. We spend more time in the extremes, either comparing ourselves to others or overestimating ourselves. And actually what we end up doing is we end up not loving God and serving others with the skills and abilities God's given us. So he's saying, just serve. The point of the jelly beans are to eat them, and the point of your gift is to use them. That's all he's saying there. So let's wrap this up. What does that mean for us today? Okay. What it means is this. We need to think rightly about ourselves. Let's not overestimate ourselves. We need to think rightly about others. Man, we are all serving and wherever you are in that ability, whatever skills you have, whatever little you do, whatever uh, a lot you do, it doesn't really matter as long as you are using your gifts and skills and abilities. Use them as worship to the Lord. And I will worship with you as you offer your life as worship to God. And therefore, let's use our, our gifts. So now you might say, okay, how do I do that? I would like to give you um, a few thoughts to help you discern your gifts and abilities and then help you discern how to use them. So these are just... Now, what we're moving into right now is just advice, not exegesis. So there's a lot of other ways you can do this. This is just advice, something to help you think about it. But, it is, but if you disobey any of these things that I'm about ready to tell you, there is doesn't matter. God is not holding this as any standard above you. This is advice. It won't even get you a cup of coffee at Hardee's. That's just advice. This is all this is. Okay. So here it is. But let me give you four pieces of advice. Ways that you could maybe help discover your gifts and abilities. The first one is going to seem so obvious. Sit down and say, what skills do I have? You all have skills. What are they? Okay. But then there's a second question that follows that one up. And this one helps you define it even more. What passions do you have? What is the thing that you're passionate about that's important to you? When you start realizing your skills and abilities and, and it starts to connect with your passion... Now you're starting to get into that thing, that the meaning, the purpose that God's given you. Because God, I've discovered in my life, 
unites my skills with my passions. The things that I think are important, I start to realize the skills, when they align, I start seeing what I can and cannot do. And then the third question, and this is the honest one, what is my capacity? What's my capacity? Because you might say, well, um, we're young parents. We're in our late 20s or early 30s. We've got kids coming and potentially, Lord willing, more on the way. I'm not quite sure what happens. I get home from work at 6 o'clock. I don't know what happens between 6 and 8. But I know I'm busy because I'm just trying to get one child to bed. And it sucks up the whole of hours. I don't know why. But my capacity is about 27 minutes a week extra time. That's what I have. Okay, if that's what you have, you got 27 minutes. Praise the Lord. That right now is where you're at. Then we're, man, Lord, I got 27 minutes. That's my capacity because of these other responsibilities you've put in my life. And that's what it is. We're going to offer 27 minutes to the Lord as a worship. And then, so I'm saying, man, skills, I write them down. Passions. What's my capacity right now at this season in life? And then you ask yourself one simple question. With my skills and my abilities and my capacity, how can I bless the body of Christ with that? What's one thing I can do to add value to the body of Christ? Or what's one thing I can do to add value to my neighborhood? Or what's one thing I can do to add value to my neighbors? But what is the one thing I can do that I know I can do with my skills, my passions, and my capacity? Paul would just say, then do it as worship to God and love for others. Because it's all the measure of faith. It's the grace and the measure. And over time, those capacities and things change. We're empty nesters now, no kids at home. Our capacity's gone crazy. We can do a lot more than we did when the kids were younger and at home. So praise the Lord, man. If you've got kids at home, you've got one shot to raise your kids. Raise them. Use your gifts to love them. And whatever time you have left, find some ways to bless others and worship God. But that's the key. My skills, my passions, my capacity. How can we bless? And I, that's a great, if you're married, that's a great conversation to have. How can we bless others? This is what Paul is saying. This is the natural application to the gospel in your life. Presenting your body as worship to him and love for others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the, the power of just a few words that your spirit inspired that drives us to see something greater than ourselves. Lord God, forgive us and help us flee insane thinking. Thinking we're worthy, thinking we're worthless. Lord, help us to embrace worship as our life. Lord God, help us not to judge each other. Look down on people for not doing things like us. Let us worship those with the smallest capacity alongside those with the greatest capacity. And let us thank you that you have gifted us all with gifts according to the measure of our capacity. 
And Lord, help us use them. Don't just use them as work. Lord God, fill our hearts with worship and love, love for you and love for others. Thank you, Lord God, that we can be used by you to love others, to show the world the gospel and to experience unity, unity of being in, in, in a family and in a body. You've blessed us richly with so much. We are grateful. And I pray this in Christ's most holy name. Amen.